This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's another edition of the Equalizer podcast, Dan Lawletta with Jeff Kasouf, and we continue to be in the midst of some unprecedented times in our country and around the world as the COVID-19 virus continues uh, to monopolize pretty much every decision that gets made personally, business-wise, and certainly in women's soccer. A quick update on where we are right now. The NWSL season won't begin until sometime deep into June. Right now, the training moratorium is through May 5th. There hasn't really been too many updates from the U.S. women's national team, although we're right in that final uh, FIFA window that was supposed to be before the opening of the league season, which was not this weekend, but the following weekend. Uh, we'll get to Jeff in a moment, who spoke to Lisa Baird, the commissioner of the NWSL, a couple days ago and has some good content on our site, EqualizerSoccer.com. Uh, but that's pretty much where we are right now. Uh, Utah Royals FC, through their parent club, Real Salt Lake, made some announcements about uh, salary cuts and some staff furloughs for uh, non-playing personnel. So hopefully everybody in the uh, in the organization out there in Utah is okay. They're certainly not alone. But uh, Jeff, hope you're well, and uh, talk to me about uh, your conversation with Lisa Baird. Yeah, uh, very much appreciated her taking the time first off, and then obviously, um, you know, as people listening to this probably know, it's been three years since there's been a commissioner. So certainly, you know, I think that you can kind of see and feel and hear the the kind of difference in um, just leadership and transparency of, of um, having uh someone in charge and and even coming out to even talk about this you know when things are so uncertain i think certainly in the past um since inception i'd say really you know not, not specific to anybody in particular that there's just been uh, there's always been kind of a thirst for more transparency um and and i think that um the league at large at times has kind of you know when that when there hasn't been an answer or there's been an answer that uh, maybe they don't particularly you know doesn't particularly look good that um they've they've kind of wanted to just ignore it or avoid it so you know really appreciate uh you know it, lisa coming out and talking about something when so many unknowns are are inherent and i think you know forgivably so for for anybody talking about something like that so um yeah talked about potential season start date which which she and owners have talked about at the moment being the end of June, I think, you know, most people probably think that's optimistic. And I would assume that behind the scenes, you know, they are preparing for a world where that's not the case either. Um, spoke about the, you know, the various factors going on here and, and probably some of the hopefully many of the questions that anybody listening to this would have players still having their contracts honored right now. Um, so so continuing to be paid. 
um, which is actually a centralized league um, thing, uh, not not necessarily team specific in this setup. Um, the potential different creative solutions for when a season would start. And I think the big takeaway, and, and I'd encourage everybody to read it, it's a long Q&A format um, on EqualizerSoccer.com. And uh, we did keep that in front of the paywall too because it's, it's sort of a pertinent update. Um, that the, the main takeaway is they have a strategic plan that has principles, to, to borrow her word, that she used a lot, that is meant to adapt to this ever-changing scenario because we all kind of again think that probably even that june date will probably shift so there's there's kind of a guiding principle what those are specifically she didn't quite share um and i think you know understandably but uh there there's at least a you know there's there's a plan and there's some leadership and i think that's obviously music to the ears of nwsl fans and it was a really nice welcome for the new commissioner right she was making the media rounds before she officially started she started on Tuesday the 10th, and on Wednesday the 11th is when the NBA stopped their season. They, they were playing games that night. They stopped the season. They made the announcement that night, and that is kind of the before and after, I think, of not only sports shutting down, but maybe people at large around the country starting to take the situation more seriously, I think, is that's the before and after. So unfortunately for Lisa Baird, she is, hasn't really had a lot of opportunity to put her imprint on this, but it does seem to me, and I haven't spoken to her one-on-one yet, but I've been impressed in the two or three times I've spoken with her in a group setting that maybe she, I don't know if I would say she's the right person because who is the right person in this case? This is something nobody ever planned for, but that she can be a positive influence on the league as it navigates through. Well, let's be honest, this is not going to be easy for this league to come out of in one piece. No, and I think a small but nuanced point that she made within our chat, um, which the bigger point being, which we, we have in the headline, that she said there's no playbook for this. So everybody's learning as they go here um, in every industry. But certainly, you know, as you look to these different leagues, as they sort of look at different options of when to play, how to play, if to play, um, you know, something that stood out to me was we kind of know that she came from the Olympic world for – uh, roughly a decade or so in, in the marketing side, but um, something that she reminded me that that I dealt with on the media side through some of these major events was, you know, there is always something with a major event, and I say this to people a lot, but um, you know, in London 2012, the Olympics, they had uh, a cybersecurity scare, I think is what she mentioned. Sochi obviously had a lot of concerns. Um, the Pyeongchang Olympics, there there were different things in in Rio. There, there's always a challenge. Um, and, and I'd say, you know, more dramatically, even there's always a threat surrounding these Olympics and even the World Cups, typically, um, just in terms of security concerns and otherwise. Um, and in Rio, in Rio, it was the Zika virus, um, Zika uh, virus, probably the wrong term, but but Zika yeah, concern. And we thought that was a big deal. Right, right. So, you know, that's a very small scale kind of comparable type of scenario. But, um, you know, so in that sense. She's she's been through this uh, to as much degree as anybody else that's dealing with this. Now, so taking it away from the commissioner for a moment, what, what do we think is the best case scenario? I think if you do start in late June, I think you can probably get a pretty good schedule down to 16 games, one home, one away, go into the playoffs, do it like usual. 
But if we think that's not going to happen, then is it better off for this league to not play the season? Is it better off for them to play some sort of a, you know, a tournament thing? Is it better off putting all the teams in certain markets? I feel like this is, you know, the news in the sports world right now is about, you know, Major League Baseball seems to have the plan to come back the quickest where they're going to maybe send everybody to Arizona, no fans, play at spring training sites starting sometime in late May, early June. Even the NFL, which doesn't start until after Labor Day, that is no guarantee to get going. But those leagues are going to struggle, but they have enough. They're going to be okay unless this goes on for years. What's the best case scenario for the NWSL, which, let's face it, is not, you know, it's on firm footing, but it's not on solid footing. Yeah, I think best case scenario is is getting started roughly in the end of June time frame, even if it's July, I think you could still fit 16 games in there and, um, you know, make it, I think that's doable to, especially considering that the original schedule was running later than ever. November 14th championship was the plan. So you've got a little bit more of a originally scheduled window there than you typically would. I mean, there was a time when this league started in 2013, the final was in August. So, yeah. um, you know, I think in that scenario, I, 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 it wouldn't be a question. We'd be talking about a canceled season. But, you know, I think if you get the 16 in, you can you can do it from that time frame. But to your point, you know, assuming that end of July or sorry, end of June even is optimistic. I think you have to try to play somehow. Um, you know, I think uh, we talked about. We've talked about different scenarios. I know Claire Watkins just wrote something for us on the site um, about, you know, a potential idea about sort of playing in a, a regional schedule and having a wild card with sort of three regions, a winner of each region, and then a wild card. Um, you know, I think creative solutions, the more creative, the better in some ways, because they're all going to be needed. Um, you know, for me, if you get to the point where, you know, th- there has to be a cutoff in mind even if that is not one that anybody from the league is going to discuss publicly. So is that August 1st? Is it sometime later in August? Uh, that seems to be like a time where you're you're kind of at the point of how do you play a season and call it a season and, and use to use the word principles. I don't know how you could have a principles of a season and get that late into deep into August and cram something into two months and call it a proper season. But I think if you get to that point, assuming that a return to play is deemed somehow safe. Um, I think you try to do something to keep the league and the sport in people's minds and on their radars, especially if other sports have figured out a way to come back. And again, assuming some safety is, is there that, and whether that's kind of a, a round Robin type of tournament and it's treated as kind of a special cup. Um, I think you, you have to come back, you have to get creative and you have to, stay in that general conscience because there is a momentum that we saw coming into this this season from the world cup i would say this obviously for everybody not just the nwsl kills a lot of it but you know maybe you salvage that because of the fact that the olympics are rescheduled a year to next next summer um so if you can at least kind of keep in the minds get to next year okay you're back in an olympic year when you know nothing's going to look the same but maybe there's some some ad opportunities there because the Olympics are around. Uh, I think you have to try to figure out a way um, to do that. And everybody's going to be doing that. So is that a league cup? Is it 
um, a bigger ICC as other leagues try to figure this out. That's probably too much travel, but you know, it's figuring out something, some way to play, even if that is very short. Well, one of the things when I read about the MLB plan was that one of the ways they think they can recoup some of the money they would be losing by not having ticket sales, playing these games and with no fans is that a lot of networks now have these major gaps in their programming calendar that were supposed to be taken up by sports. And we know Wimbledon is already canceled. The Open Championship for golf is canceled. Those are not going to be played. There's going to be nothing there in those windows. So even though I feel like the NWSL, it's not worth it to play without fans is my first thought because so much of their revenue is on the ticket side. What if they could figure out a way to come back and play without fans and maybe get a TV channel somewhere to put their games on. And maybe they can figure out how to get back even before Major League Soccer gets back to be the first sports league back. Obviously, there's major health concerns here. You know, this is not like a game where you're just figuring out the best marketing angle. But could that be something you think that maybe ESPN or Fox says, hey, bring it on. We got nothing. Well, they just signed the deal with CBS, though, so it would have to be CBS, True. just just from sort well, they of could add, if it's not um, If it's not exclusive, though, they could possibly add on. Yeah, I just, I don't think there's enough money in that. Like, the, the TV money is so imperative to the bottom lines of these bigger leagues, um, whether it's in the soccer world. I mean, that's, that's what's driving Premier League and some others, certainly Champions League, kind of following in suit with the domestic European leagues. Um, it's the TV money that's that's driving that. Even the NBA close to home. I mean, they want to get they want to get back on TV because they can make money there. I don't think that there's there's negligible money there for the NWSL. I think even if you were to say, look, there's there's windows to fill this in. I don't think that's a driving force from a monetary perspective, and I don't think it should be um, just from everything else going on with with health. So. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, I, th- I think you have to figure out a way. Um, I think the NWSL is in a place where if, if you can't get back in a place where you can attract fans, and again, I, I think we should acknowledge we're assuming that people will want to come out even if someone gives them an all clear. Like, I mean, there are things that I know, you know, I, I do like group workouts. And when we get an all clear, I mean, I'm not hurrying to go back to those you know so well if you look i think the seattle sounders i think that last home game before the shutdown they had their lowest attendance and maybe since their inaugural season when they didn't even have that many seats available still a pretty good number by soccer standards but that was when it was just starting and seattle was kind of the first hot spot in the country and already people didn't want to go i i think there's a lot of issues going forward from people not wanting to congregate i think people aren't going to want to be traveling on airplanes and staying in hotels right. for a while. Not everybody, but you know, that, you know, there's a pretty decent amount of traveling fans in the NWSL. So I think there's a lot of things that, that we don't know. And at the end of the day, like we said on the last podcast, we really don't know. We're trying to have a little fun with it. You know, if we start in August, you know, August, August, September, October, that's 13 weekends, give or take. And then you have the two in November you, know, you might have to say sorry for the FIFA windows, but we have to play through them and, right. you know, see if U.S. soccer cooperates or, you know, what have you at that point. But I think anything past the beginning of August, then you've got to start to really look at not having a traditional season with standings and 
playoff berths and, and whatnot. Right. And I think you have to look at that as a potential opportunity if, if you want to be super optimistic about it, I guess. I mean, there's there's things that don't exist here, like cups beyond the very, very short playoffs that we have. But um, yeah, I, you know, the best idea that I had, which um, talking to Jen Cooper uh, from Keeper Notes on our, our Twitch stream over the weekend or right before it, I guess, um, she, she kind of reminded me that there are issues with my sort of loosely thought out idea of, you know, getting to a point where, you know, I think there's, uh, I think there's probably apprehension to like focusing on one or two teams in this league. But in this case, there's one place, you know, you can draw fans and you don't even know that in the current status of the world, but, and that's Portland. Um, so, you know, if you get back to a place where you could say my, my idea and thought was, if you get to that point of mid-August and you've got to cram games and everything, you know, have a round robin type of uh, not not tournament per se. I mean, it could be that it shakes out that way, but play like Thursday, Sunday doubleheaders. Have a host site. Say it's Portland who hosts it. I don't know if you're getting 20,000 given the circumstances, but you're going to get more than anybody else is going to get if we're being frank. So, you know, create a rev share out of that little bit of revenue you'll create, and you know, you knock out what is that four games in three days basically. And you do that, maybe you do it for a week there. And then you come back a little later, you pick one or two sites. Um, and I think Jen said to me, that's actually more travel if you think about it, cause it's three teams going somewhere. And um, so, you know, that was, that was probably the most creative idea I have to, to start. That is not, you know, that's still trying to keep a season schedule. That's not like just a straight knockout type of cup. And that's long been my idea, actually, for kind of getting a women's open cup off the ground is sending teams and pods to different cities and whatnot. But uh, that's that's another story for a long time from now. Let's step out for a moment. Let's come back. We'll talk a little actual soccer. The Olympics have been postponed until 2021. How does that affect everyone who benefits, who doesn't benefit? And what will the landscape look like? When and if we get to Tokyo in July of 2021 with Jeff, I'm Dan. This is the Equalizer podcast. Back on the Equalizer podcast with a reminder to check us out on the web at EqualizerSoccer.com and for premium content, EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe. And also, please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. My name is Dan Lawletta. I'm here with Jeff Kasouf. And second of what will be uh, pretty much two-segment Equalizer podcast for the time being, the Olympic Games were officially postponed and it's one of those things that it's kind of laughable to look back and even think that as late as they were still insisting they could happen because there really was no chance for weeks before that. Uh, but let's just let's talk some soccer. Let's have some fun with it. And I think there are two names that come to mind that are very popular names to discuss. The obvious one is Alex Morgan, who is due to give birth pretty soon at this point and wanted to be on the Olympic team and it was going to be a tight squeeze and the other one is Carly Lloyd, who is, what, 37? She'll be 38 now. And, is you know, she's already said, I think, via Twitter that it's another year to get better and work hard and all that stuff. But I do think there is a thought process among some fans that maybe that's going to be too long for Carly Lloyd. Um, so there's those two things. I think, generally speaking, though, this does not help the U.S. because it's not a young team. I think if it helps in any way, 
I think maybe players like Megan Rapino and Tobin Heath could maybe use some downtime instead of playing. But right. all in all, I think an older team, it's, it's probably not going to get any easier. Now, the teams coming up behind them aren't exactly – it's not like the U.S. is quarantined and the rest of the world is off playing soccer. Right. But, you know, if you go in one way or another, I think it helps Alex Morgan. I think it hurts Carly Lloyd's chances of being on the 11, which is where she really wants to be. And I think just maybe slightly it hurts the U.S. from an aging standpoint. Oh, so the 11, not the 18. That's what I was going to argue with you on. But, yeah, so that's um, – I would agree. Carly Lloyd is healthy. She will be on the Olympic team. Right. We've right. they delay it to the next Olympiad. Yes. Uh, agreed, yes. That's why I'm glad you clarified that. Yeah, I think for me, um, I, I wrote this last week, the later – the longer this delay to any sort of team training and, and matches continues, the more that this roster is going to look exactly how you think it would look, would think it would look, you know, this summer. Um, you know, now that might mean swaps within the pool, obviously, you know, is that, um, is that taking Casey short instead of Ali Krieger? So, you know, that's a decision that was a type of decision that was being faced no matter what. Right. So maybe the, the year difference, um, is a difference there. Um, but in terms of like, uh, you know, we knew already at this point, we're now in April that a Sophia Smith type, um, you know, even in Andy Sullivan, who's, who's just kind of trying to push in, um, a lot of these players that, that weren't quite in the picture last year, 2019, I think it was a very tight squeeze and a big ask for them as it was because Vlako Andonovsky came into this job basically the start of November, if we want to call it that, by the time he was hired um, and his first games were in early November. So, and said, you know, I don't have time to change that much. This team just won a world cup. We're going to make some tweaks, but we're not going to be drastic. And, you know, we're, we're sitting here talking in this first segment about like, can we get back in August? You're almost taking the timeline that he and, he said is pretty short and we've all acknowledged is, you know, logical. You're almost just taking that and moving it a year back. So by the time you get players who realistically are not going to be game fit, um, are going to be rusty in terms of playing with each other, they've all been isolated. By the time you get them back into an environment of training, of playing and get them reassimilated. And then, you know, even the idea of, Will players have, you know, where are these players going to break into the pool if they're not in it already or if they're on the fringes? It's going to be in league play, but we're looking at maybe not having a league. So the idea that I saw some people kind of jump to this conclusion that like all of a sudden the Olympic roster is wide open for some of these younger players. That's just not realistic at this point. If we somehow miraculously get back to playing in a month and we have a full league season. Yeah, sure. So for me, I don't think this changes the roster drastically. The one obvious one is Alex Morgan, you know, not being up against the clock, so to speak, for really turning around quickly to, to be ready for the Olympics. So I think, you know, barring all other health and injuries in that, you know, she's a, a lock for uh, the 2021 Olympics now. But after that, um, I don't think it's a big difference in the roster. And I actually don't think – I think, if anything, it might be a benefit to the overall outlook for – the U.S. specifically, because to your point, Dan, everybody's going through this and being down in Orlando, talking to the team kind of in depth. And, you know, one of the themes and it wasn't new. We've heard this. I think we heard it after 2015 and 16, the the sort of tiring grind that that is the flip from World Cup to Olympics, especially after you win the World Cup. And 
Um, you know, <laughs> you can pull up kind of the videos of some of the celebrations and, and, you know, rightfully they, they celebrated, but that certainly kind of sets you back a little bit. And that celebration tour goes in October. Um, I think this is maybe needed rest for a lot of them and maybe give some time to, you know, get some rest, not be in kind of that sprint to the Olympics. And, um, I don't think, you know, the age factor, for most, I don't think is a big deal. I think it's actually potentially a positive in terms of rest. It's funny you mentioned the uh, celebration. I was on a broadcast call with Paul Riley out of a Courage game, and the Courage didn't come out of the Olympic, uh, sorry, the World Cup break playing great. And he kind of made a reference. He said, you know, the players that have that were in the World Cup, they haven't been great for me. He said they celebrated a little bit, and that's fine. But I told him this week, now it's time to get going. And I don't know, that might have been right at the beginning of that six-game winning streak where they were putting six goals on everybody, it seemed like, every weekend. Uh, but the, the one thing about the about the extra year, though, Jeff, is that players get old at some point. And I'm not looking at anybody in particular, but there's no – yeah, the rest could help. But at some point, you know, I think we're so used to players retiring rather than getting pushed out the door, especially the top, top players – but at some point, you wake up one day, one season, one whatever, and you just can't do it anymore. And I think that could be a reason why somebody maybe, uh, you know, falls behind a little bit when we come back from this. I agree. The roster's not going to change a lot. I do think that, you know, let's say the June friendlies happen, which I think there's 0% chance of that happening. Right. Then maybe you'd have enough time that Flacco might change up the formation and the shape a little bit. But I think... In reality, you they're not going to get back until the fall at some point. And it's also, you know, when you were basically closing in on the Olympics, I think it might even be a disservice to the team to blow up the way that you were supposed to play and the way you were going to play. I also think that, the you know, the extra year is great, and we know that won't happen because the Olympics are not going to change and the World Cup's not going to change on account of the European Championships. And in reality, the Olympics probably, you know, if you want to go on this whole equal thing, the Olympics should probably be a U23 tournament, like on the men's side. But I think the extra year and the every other year, and I think the Olympic to World Cup from 21 to 23 is going to make a lot more sense than the way it's been, where it's World Cup, Olympics, and then two years off. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's not going to change. It'll just be a, a sort of one-time sample, but... Um... Yeah, I think that's that's totally fair. And um, I know Europe, you know, Europe, as as you just kind of alluded to, for the most part, is is more invested in the European Championships, which has been is scheduled to be a two year rotation, two years plus minus from each World Cup. So I think you can look at, you know, you can look at that. I don't think you can argue that Europe takes the Euros more seriously than the Olympics as a confederation. And I would say most federations um and and you can look at the the scheduling there and say well the euros ideal at least it was I mean, the all credible reports say that the women's euro is going to be 2022 now because the men's one is 2021 and obviously there's there are european teams in the olympics top european teams in the olympics that um will now be 2021 so um i guess 2022 it is now which is going to put them up against a a world cup and they actually do real qualifying. So they might, I would guess they would start World Cup qualifying before the Euros because the Euro qualifying is almost done. 
Well, and by the way, I should, now I'm reminding myself, I tweeted this, I said this a while back, but we still don't have a 2023 World Cup host. That is, that is delayed correct. by all normal standards, was supposed to be chosen at the June FIFA meeting. and Which won't happen. Right. We've had no indication, and I actually just made a note to myself to try to get a, an official no-comment comment on this, but um, I when are we going to get a 2023 host? There's already... Like the the men's hosts have been decided eight plus years in advance typically. Um, the women's have always been at least four, which is too short to begin with. This was going to be three, and now we're pushing sub three here with an assumed delay because of everything going on. The one the only thing I could say is point. they got their the FIFA inspections to each prospective bid were finished before this really kicked into gear. They were actually doing the inspections during the sort of rise of this. And they, they had Japan was the last inspection, which was when this started ticking up, um, certainly in China. And I haven't paid attention to sort of country by country numbers here. But I, I actually know Japan's actually handling this quite well from talking to, to Tom Beyer. But um, so, so the inspections are done. So theoretically, they have the information they need. But getting people together to vote even is is a challenge. No, that's a great point. And there's also a lot of work to be done, which obviously whoever wins the bid will be behind on doing that work and probably won't be able to do a lot of it. I mean, let's be honest. It, it's an embarrassment that you leave one World Cup without knowing where the next yeah. one is going to be. And uh, I mean, it seems to me, and I've never been to a men's World Cup, but it seems to me that other than the fact that there are still not the same number of teams, that it's about the same event. So I don't know why you need that much more time on the men's side than the women's side. I think the women's World Cup is mostly caught up, it's you know, in terms of infrastructure and what it takes to put the event on. Yeah, I've not been to uh, a men's in in person. Um, <laughs> I guess I'd just say, you know, infrastructure-wise, I hope it's it's better planned out than France was. Yeah, well, you know what though, Canada is great. So I don't, I don't know if that was a Women's World Cup thing or a FIFA thing or a France thing. But here's something else that just came to mind when you talked about, um, you know, players not being match fit. This current team right now, they're kind of living the way the 99ers lived a couple of years before 99. You know, remember they, those players would always say, we had to learn to get better on our own because they would have a camp, they would play a game, they would go home, and they would have to, kick the ball against the wall or find somebody locally that was good enough to play with them. And right. that is more than likely what's going on with the, with the current players. I know there are, um, you know, there are, you know, Ashland and, you know, Harris and Krieger are married to each other, so they can probably play together. I believe, uh, is it Lynn Williams and Jess McDonald, I think are roommates um, when they're in North Carolina with the courage, or it might be one of them in Sam Mewis. But I know there's some sort of national team roommate set up in North Carolina. Um, but yeah, they're they're going to they're have to figure this out. It's like it's like old school. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that actually. That's that's a good point. Um, yeah, I think it's a lot of self self ball work, um, a lot of isolated training, and you know, in that sense, I know doing a story there on on isolated training and talking to some folks, um, there's an optimism that. Perhaps this will create more technical players when they come back to training. Um, so we'll see. I think that's it's a fair point. I mean, fitness you can kind of get back to in, in relative 
speed. I think certainly on the American side, the ball work has potentially lagged behind. So maybe this is, uh, you know, again, not a good thing that's happening, but maybe that's a small silver lining. And it'll certainly be interesting. And, you know, and again, you know, nobody on that World Cup team did Vlatko Andonovsky any favors by saying, this is great, I'm going to retire now. And it looks like it's the same thing, you know, with Alex Morgan, as we mentioned, really uh, being the the biggest beneficiary here. And I think probably on the other end, Jess McDonald, who I think was a long shot, is just that much farther down the pecking order now with Morgan, you know, seemingly right back on top. Right. Yeah, I think Morgan's return will hit the, obviously, the sort of already large forward group. It'll hit kind of the fringes of that the most. Is it you? Rapino, Heath, players like that who haven't maybe been in great form and uh, haven't played a lot of minutes. You know, Rapino looks dog tired after 60, 65 minutes these days, has really even since during the World Cup um, benefit, or might they be players you think that they're getting too old for this? Well, I think they're all making the 18 at this stage, especially, like I said, the longer this goes. But, um, I don't know. I don't know about benefit. I think there's so many unknowns that that's that's really a tough one to say. I, th- I think it's going to be. I guess the the clearest I can kind of make my point is is probably that, you know, whatever that sort of 20 some lower 20s pool is um, already. I think it's for for Andonovsky, It's going to be looking at that pool, looking at how they come back, and and choosing. You know, making those four, five, six real cuts. And, you know, then from there looking at maybe what's changed within that 18 that, that needs some, you know, adjustment at a team level. And here's, uh, I think another player, by the way, that should benefit here is Kelly O'Hara because Kelly O'Hara seems to be injured all the time and miraculously gets healthy when she really needs to be healthy. I feel like she's a player that maybe could use this downtime, you know, as well as anybody, as much as anybody else. Yeah. Uh, and, a, and a final point to run by before we wrap up, you know, we talk about with the NWSL, you gotta have teams travel, you have to have them stay in hotels, and there's all these different things. I don't know how easy it's going to be to get international teams to come here and play friendlies on that That's, same ground. It's going to yeah. be harder to get a team from Germany or Australia in here than it is to fly from say, New Jersey to Portland. Very fair. Yeah, I don't know if that means the U.S. needing to go out and, and obviously whether they're even welcome to do that. Um, but that's a very fair point. And, and I guess we should acknowledge before we wrap real quick that, um, again, the obvious is that this is going to take a while. But officially, uh, we've talked about the league, officially U.S. soccer has only canceled events through April 30th at this point. Um so, you know, you mentioned like not thinking the June games will happen. I mean, there were there were games for April, May, June and then July as well, actually, before uh, before the Olympics. So and I, I think the July ones were tied to the Olympics, obviously, in terms of, of prep games. So, um, you know, how long that even extends for for all U.S. teams, youth included and, and extended national teams and everything. We'll see. Well, we hope everyone listening is doing well and not going too crazy during this uh, wild time where most of us are staying at home. We are about as in the dark as everyone else on what will happen with the NWSL season, but it won't be starting until at least June. 
Training moratorium is in place until May 5th. The Olympics are postponed until July into August of 2021. We're going to be cranking out these podcasts weekly once again. And what we'll try to do is hit on a different featured topic each week. So if you have any ideas, send them to the hashtag. That's hashtag EQZPOD, hashtag EQZPOD. Uh, for Jeff Kasuf, I'm Dan Loletta. Thank you for listening to the Equalizer podcast. Whatever business you're in, growth isn't just about getting bigger. At ADP, we believe it's about getting stronger by turning data into insights so you can build teams that work as teams. By using our AI technology to help catch payroll errors before their errors. And by keeping ahead of thousands of changing regulations so you can keep ahead of everything else. ADP helps businesses like yours grow stronger every day. ADP, HR talent, time, and payroll.